are live from the empire of lies. It's time for the show that brings you great conversations, the truth, and open debate with no censorship. It's a Carmine Monday here on The Backstory. And do we indeed have Carmine Sabia online? Do indeed. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm great. So, uh, we got a lot of stuff today, and two great guests. First hour, John Mark Dugan from Russia. And I'll tell you this, this is going to tie back into an issue you're going to be surprised by. Carmine, let me ask you, do you think America's schools, and not just colleges, America's schools and kindergartens have become propaganda for people with an agenda. Do you think that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you may wonder So how does that apply to Ukraine and Russia? Well, John Mark Dugan was over in uh, the uh, Donetsk People's Republic and he found a library there and they have anti-Russian propaganda for kids going back to 91. Now, that's not going to shock you, right? But I'm going to point out that these same techniques trying to pollute the minds of children is going on with Ukraine as goes on in the U.S. Interested? Always. Well, John Mark Dugan will be on in the first hour to discuss it. Then, in the second hour, we'll be talking about foreign policy with Daniel Zarr. Do you feel better knowing that Nancy uh, Pelosi is now flying around the world on another peacekeeping mission? Do you trust Nancy Pelosi to bring peace? I think you know my answer to that one, old boy. Why? 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 It's a good, sad question. But Carmine, what is the name of the show? This is The Backstory. Now, I've got a couple of clips I want to play, but we're bringing John Mark Dugan on in about 10 minutes. Okay? So I don't know. I'm going to save the clips, but let me give you a teaser. The teaser is uh, Trump makes mistakes because he listens to the wrong Fox host. He clearly is a guy who still likes Sean Hannity. And I'd say if Trump were more of a Tucker fan, He'd be better off, but I like I like them both. What's that? I like them both. So I'm not talking personality. By the way, I met Sean Hannity once at the RNC in 2016, and he was very nice and very gracious to us at Breitbart. So it's not personal, but he's a dummy, and he and John Solomon have been lying, lying about a story, the Dershenko case. And they've been, because Solomon is all in on anti-Russian propaganda. And I mean lies. I mean lies about Russia to make people dumber and lies. I don't know how else to put it. But I've been hearing a lot of talk about, about Russia using possibly a tactical nuke. Yes, that's complete made-up propaganda. There's no talk. Russia's nuclear policy has not changed. By the way, name the one country who's used nuclear weapons. The United States, but they had to. 
Well, they they did, but whether they had to or not is an open question to me. But they're the one country that did. So they constantly want to propagandize about this. That was started by U.S. media. It's propaganda. There's Russia's policy has not changed. Russia has, has a policy against the first use of nuclear weapons. Did you know that? I did not know that. I was told the opposite, actually, but uh, the media says the opposite of that. Right. And the media says stuff, you know, all the time. That's not true. But look it up. Russia's, and look it up, you, you know what I mean, on other sources, and you might be able to find it. But let me get the calls first. 202-521-1320. Ingrid, what's on your mind? Having John Mark Dugan on. Uh, I don't know if you want to ask him about this alleged Rand Corporation report that came out January uh, 20 of this year, 2022. And what I heard supposedly is it appeared on, on John Mark Dugan's telegram and he didn't know the source. And now it's going around that it's a forgery, but it's kind of real or not a, a realistic assessment of what's gone down in Ukraine. But I've, I've always wanted to ask you a personal thing. And on a Monday, since Carmine's there, a long time ago, you said that one day you would tell us about a personal incident that happened to you when Shane was very young in the kitchen about your experience or vision and how that related to your Christianity. Would you still ever be willing to do that? Yeah, sure. Uh, I have mentioned that before, but I didn't go into details. Carmen will like this story. So when my son Shane was young, probably about six or seven, uh, I was in the kitchen. I remember this very distinctly. I was in the kitchen, and you know, like kids that age, asked me about God. And at the time, I was an atheist. Okay, Carmen, you... You get the picture? I got you. I got you. So so I said, I was an arrogant atheist. And I said to Shane, there's no such thing as God. I said, watch this. I'll just flip off God right now and watch. Nothing will happen. And so I actually flipped off God, the ceiling, and swore and said, F you, God. And that whole thing. Does that make sense, Carmine? That makes sense, but you it, get the story it, it so makes, far. It makes it makes sense. I probably would have slapped you, but it makes I understand what you're saying. Well, now you know the rest. Here comes the rest of the story. So the next morning, I got a phone call, and my best friend, 38 years old, had died. The next morning, and uh, so I'm not saying I killed him. Some people misinterpret yeah. what I'm saying. I'm saying I took that as a sign. And I really did. And immediately, my opinion on God changed because I started to see that it, it's not going to happen to you, but it might happen somewhere else. That I hurt you. Right. And that, that was beginning. It, there had been some other things, but that had a profound effect on me. Does that make sense now? It does. Absolutely. So I don't mind talking about that, but some people, you know, 
if you're a hardcore atheist, you could easily refute that story, right? And say sure. it's coincidence, sure. right? But sure. I didn't take it that way. So whether anybody else thinks that or not, and I think you probably do, you think they're related, right, Carmine? I do. I do. I do. Right. And I agree with you. And by the way, whether you think that or not, that's what I think. And, and I'm not saying, so in other words, I'm not just saying it's because I'm on with a believer on the show today. I really do. And I've talked to Shane about it. And what was weird was my wife at the time was basically an atheist. And I think she still is, but that's a long story. But uh, at the time, she thought it was kind of weird that it was a little too adamant a reaction. And I honestly don't know why I reacted that way. But that's the story. Ingrid is still there? I'm still here. Makes and lately, um, thank you. Lately, I've become uh, using using the um, the idea of Satan. I've come to believe that evil exists, and if nothing else, yeah. No. Yes, and and and, and I believe that. I I know Carmine does, right? Oh, absolutely, brother. I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's a foregone conclusion, man. Look at this world. And there's something going on. Even people who are atheists, a lot of them are starting to go, there's something going on. Do you know who started to do that? A friend of mine was an agnostic, and he told me before he died that he was starting to come around on things. And do you know who that was? Who? Andrew Breitbart. Oh, I would. I, I, that would make me happy if he was. Yeah, he told me that, and it was based on conversations they had with me. Uh, huh. I said, "Yeah, I'm starting to believe you," because I was, you know, I, I don't uh, proselytize or anything, but I'm not smart I, enough I, to. I'm. I'm not. I'm not shy about stating my beliefs, and if someone accepts them, fine, and I don't care. Yeah, I, I want them to. Right. You know what I'm saying, Carmine. Absolutely. So thanks for the question. Great question, Ingrid. Now, what do you think about that, Carmine? Any comments? Um, makes me sad that your friend died. I, 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 I so, hope you don't blame yourself. I don't. And actually, what's weird is my friend who died had had a conversation with me about death like a week earlier out of the blue. He said he lost a pet recently. He lost a pet. And out of the blue, he said, you know, I was thinking about it because I lost my pet. And I'm kind of okay with that. I'm not worried about it. Because I think your soul, I I think for some people, your soul knows you're going. Right. And that person said that thing to me. And I had no other explanation for it. Right. You can say it's a coincidence. But saying it's a coincidence actually doesn't say anything. Because you know coincidence, think about it. It's just things that coincide. It's saying this happened and this happened. And coincidence is just, that's all coincidence is. It's two events that coincide. 
coincidence. Correct. Correct. So, so in a weird way, by the way, uh, there was some signs with Andrew, too. That conversation that he'd had about his agnosticism, and he was starting yeah. to see, he was starting to believe, and I truly believe this. I'm a good journalist, but there are some parts of some stories that I've gotten into that I can't explain. Have you ever had that experience, Carmine? Absolutely. <laughs> Where you go, I, I did research. I, I believe God doesn't just hand, God is not a lottery ticket. Does that make sense? Thank you. Thank you. I always say God oh. is not a genie of the magic lamp. Not a guinea with magic lamp? That's insulting not a genie that He's not here to grant your wishes. Okay, okay, phew. I hate you be insulting to Italians, by the way. By the way, would it be insulting to Italians if we had WAP Wednesday with Carmine? That would, yeah. That would. Okay, just checking. That might get Rod you your butt whooped. That's Rod's idea. Yeah, that you might get me? you beaten. Yeah. That Although, might get you beaten. You know, where I grew up in Western Massachusetts, and I'm sure you know lots of guys like this. A guy, Matt, who's a good friend of mine, he was a drummer in a band I was in. He's, he was from the kind of Italians, Italian-Americans. He always referred to himself as a WAP and a guinea. Always. Oh, sure. Right. And you know what I'm saying. It's always about, it's always about tone and context. It's not the right. word. It's tone and context. But some people might take it a different way, you know? Right. You know, with certain ethnic you have to be careful. And, and Italians, you know, again, it's it's all about context. It's all about context. And do Italians have... Take, it, well, we certainly don't take giant offense to it. So, I mean... But if a Metagon is saying it, that's a little different. Yeah. Now, so, Carmine, what did you... We're waiting for John Mark Dugan... And what did you think was the big story this weekend? Well, I actually, well, besides the the, the queen, um, I actually wanted to speak to uh, the previous show that was on right before us, which I believe is uh, by any means necessary. Am I correct? Yes, indeed, yes. They were talking about uh, Puerto Rico, and I mean, oh, it's illegal colonization. The United States has colonized it, and I guess you could make that case. I mean, it is what it is, right? But you also have to ask yourself how many Puerto Ricans want uh, to not be colonized here. Like, in other words, how many are really asking for their, their quote-unquote freedom, right? Because, let me ask you this question. They just had a hurricane, okay? They've had hurricanes in the past. We've seen them. They were pretty bad, right? Well, if they weren't part of the United States, the United States colony, who's paying to repair that? They're very right. tiny. If they were in the country, they're very tiny. How strong would their economy be? Well, they'd have to come to us and be like, hey, can you guys help us, right? I mean, there's no other way. Now, if you're in Puerto Rico looking at Joe Biden as president, be honest, would you want to be a state right now? No. Okay, there we go. Let's take a short break. When we come back, John Mark Dugan will be with us on The Backstory.
And we're back on the back story and on 102.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington, D.C., the capital of the Empire of Lies. Joining us now, I believe, hey, John, where are you? Are you in Ukraine or Russia? Where? I'm in Russia. Okay. So I didn't want to get that wrong. So joining us now from Moscow, Russia, John Mark Dugan. Hey, John, how are you doing? Hey, good. I'm well. How are you? I'm great. And it's great to talk to you. So you had a fantastic video up recently and talking about the library in Ukraine and the children's section of the library. But we'll talk about that in a second. I had a caller, Ingrid, who called in. She said you had something, and I don't know anything about this, about a Rand Corporation document or whatever about Ukraine. Do you know something about this Rand Corporation? Does this ring a bell to you? Yeah, I did a video on the Rain Corporation document. Okay, so what's the story there? All right, so uh, somebody from German intelligence gave uh, some other journalists in the document. And the document basically states, uh, it's dated January 25th, and it's uh, the distribution list is like CIA, NSA, and... Uh, the Democratic National Party, White House Chief of Staff, some other stuff. And basically, it states that uh, in order to maintain power uh, and in order to maintain U.S. dominance, the United States has to start a war between Russia and Ukraine to destabilize Germany and to destroy uh, German and European manufacturing. Now, do you think that there's any way, this sounds like a conspiracy theory, is there any way the U.S. could start a war between Russia and Ukraine and destabilize Germany? That sounds, oh wait, that's what's happened, right? Oh, the United States did start a war between uh, Indeed, yeah. uh, Ukraine and Russia. They absolutely did, 100%. You know, them pushing and pushing and pushing for Ukraine to be NATO. And uh, Vladimir Putin has said ever ever since the 90s that it's an absolute red line that they will not stand. Uh, they knew what that was going to do. And um, look at what's happening to Germany now. They are... I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, did the Rand Corporation say why they want to destabilize Germany? Because everything up to that point, it's... And obviously, that has happened. Germany, Germany is destabilized. But why is the U.S. wanting to do that? Well, the Rand Corporation said that the document was not legitimate. Now, I don't necessarily believe that. Um, because, frankly, how often have we heard the Rand Corporation, or how often have we heard American intelligence uh, deny legitimacy of legitimate documents. I mean, or look at the Hunter Biden laptop, uh, where 51 members of the intelligence community signed off that it was Russian disinformation. So, yeah, uh, Rain Corporation has been tight with about it. They have not really said anything about it. So, Carmine, do you think it's possible a military industrial think tank would map out a plan like this, game out a theory? Carmine? Uh, 
I think, of course, <laughs> of course, of course right. it's possible. Is it probable? That's the answer I don't know. Yeah. And them denying it does mean something to me. It's a, if they, if they admitted it, it would mean something different to me. But so, do you, do you have, what percentage, how sure are you? 80%, 90%, some less, lesser number, John? Uh, what, that it's legitimate? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't put a percentage on it. But, I mean, it's a reputable source. Um, and why would somebody in German intelligence give us a fake document? And that's the question that we need to ask. Uh, and there's really, there's two answers uh, uh, why they would give us this document in the first place. Uh, one, if it's real, one, if it's fake. Uh, if they gave it to us and it's real, it's because they don't like the situation happening in Germany, and they found out what the U.S. was up to, and they want to expose it. If it's fake, it's because they know what the U.S. is up to in Germany, and they want to draw people's attention to it. So, uh, is it a real or fake document? I don't know. Um, there are a few typos that I would not have expected in uh, a, a document put out by a company like Rand. Um, but that being said, who knows, who knows if, it's, if it's real enough. Well, John Mark Dugan, the thing I wanted to talk about next is this fantastic video you've got about the Ukrainian libraries in Donetsk and the ch- children's section of the libraries. And tell people where they can find that video, because I'd really recommend it highly. You're going to hear about it, but go watch the video for yourself. And this is 100%. In fact, your guest on that video goes out of his way to show this is a library book, and this is the day it was published over and over again. So where can people find this and other stuff of yours, John? Um. They can go to my YouTube channel, which is John Mark Lincoln. And that video is called, uh, it's called Indoctrination of Ukrainian Children. And I found it interesting that at the, towards the beginning of the video, you related, you don't explain it too much at the beginning, but you relate to what you see going on from afar in a lot of U.S. schools, right? The indoctrination of children. It's the same thing. In the U.S. schools, they're pushing transgenderism, they're pushing wokeness, they're pushing all this nonsense garbage on kids to get them indoctrinated so when they grow up, they need this trash. Indeed. And, Carmen, of course, you agree, right? Of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And so I think people need to understand these propaganda techniques are well-established. And the U.S., has had a propaganda presence in Ukraine for 80 years. This goes back to Mikola Lebed. And you can read about it in a story published in 86 in the Village Voice called To Catch a Nazi. And the U.S. funded specifically propaganda operations in Ukraine and America about Ukraine. So these propaganda techniques, it's different, yeah, Different issues, but the same techniques. So I'm pointing out, it's not surprising to me 
that they're trying to indoctrinate children. Now, what happened was a library was hit by a missile, right? By Ukrainians, correct? They have, they have the sort of there, John. Um, what did you say? What was the last Well, you, you were talking about, I thought it was interesting that the way the story came up, the Ukrainians' missiles had hit a library there, correct? Well, yeah, I hit a school with, um, with the 155. And we were down in Mariupol um, giving out humanitarian aid. So um, we took a little side detour to one of these schools, and we started just uh, getting a bunch of books out. One, the driver, the driver of our group actually went to that school. No, and the driver was who's in the video with you, right? No. The guy in the video was Don Gagin. Gog- and he's Spanish Pushland's advisor. Spanish Pushland, for those that don't know, he's the head of the Lindon, uh, he's the head of the Donetsk People's Republic. Um, the Donbass is comprised of uh, two parts the Lindon People's Republic and the Donetsk People's Republic. Um, well, in a country where our president is Joe Biden, I, if he's the head of the Donetsk People's Republic, I thought, and you're a veteran, right, John? Yes. So I'm I'm pointing out that anyone who watches the video, that's a big dude for a head of a the republic, right? You wouldn't want to cross him, and you know. He's a big guy. I'm right. And it's a, such a contrast from Biden, for instance. Wouldn't you say so, John? I'm just pointing out that. Very easily controlled. What's that? Say again? John, we have a bad connection. So why don't we try to call you back? Let's see if we can get him back on it and get a better connection. But you'll see that if you see this video, Carmine. You'll see, he's a very tall guy, a big guy. So, this guy looks like Dolph Lundgren, and we have someone who looks like Skeletor. Uh, uh, Would you agree? Yes. Skeletor, Mumra. I I always liken him to Mr. Magoo. Mr. Skeletor. That's Yeah, a combination of Skeletor and Magoo. Magoo's memory is better. Yeah. Even Canada, even Justin Trudeau, you know, he's a drama teacher, so he's not a tough guy, but at least he's young. Was with, I mentioned Nancy Pelosi flying around the world. It's so embarrassing. The Democrats, the leaders, is, is embarrassing. People like Biden and Pelosi and Maxine Waters, Democrat leadership is, is not looking good right now. No. Okay, John, John, no. you back? Yeah, Democrat leadership has never looked good. I mean, the only decent, even relatively decent Democrat leader that I can remember in my lifetime was maybe Bill Clinton, and just he was a fun-loving guy, and I like fun-loving people. Um, but other than that, I, I can't think of any other Democrat that uh, was any sort of a decent leader whatsoever. No, it's it's been a, a very... Uh, shameful legacy. But you were saying the, the the video you're showing, 
they found these books that they say from getting destroyed. But when they looked at them, what did they find on these children's books? Well, um, so they depict Russians as uh, evil. They, be- they depict uh, Russians as, um, they call them um, they talk about, um, what just, I mean, there's, there's so many aspects to it and you really have to understand, uh, Ukrainian history and Russian history to, to understand what it means. But, um, you know, talking about spilling Russian blood, it's really, it's really subtle, but it's kind of violent. You know, there's a bunch of pictures where they have like the evil Russian king getting ready to stab the, the beautiful Ukrainian princess, um, which, you know, I mean, and, and a lot of stuff that's, that uh, it depicts, it, there's nothing factual about it. There's, it's, it's not any, anything that's based in any history. It's just, they just do it to, uh, um, to stoke like a, a anti-Russian hatred. And, uh, Carmine, I would say the thing to understand is Putin has said it's going to take decades. And the U.S. media said he's talking about re-education camps. No. Do you, do you think, Carmine, the ideology, for instance, that's in schools now, the Black Lives Matter ideology, we see critical race theory being taught all over the place, and the crazy uh, transgender agenda. And other stuff like that. How long would you say it's going to take to get rid of that ideology if someone wanted to start on it tomorrow in the U.S.? Decades, right? Easily decades. It's so indoctrinated now, and you have teachers that truly believe in it, and that's the issue. So this has become stuff, this background propaganda for the kids, it's, it's, Having a, 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 a well, John, let me ask you, what do you think the actual effect has been? Because obviously, some people haven't bought into it, right? Yeah, um, you know, most people in the Donbass they have not bought into it at all. Um, but you know, when you get outside of the Donbass, uh, you then you get uh, a lot more people that actually buy into it. And there's, you know, it's funny because. I actually took a liberal, an anti-war protester, uh, to the Donbass with me on my last trip and let her see for herself what was happening. And she completely changed her story. And one of the things that she said that kind of sticks with me is, um, you know, she was raised thinking that Ukrainians, Ukrainians are their brothers, okay? But now she sees that they've been taught something completely different that Ukrainians actually are taught that Russians are evil and not their brothers. And that was such a great video. I saw that one too, John. You're doing such great work. We appreciate you coming on the show and talking about it. But I think one of the things, when you met, she was your translator, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So when you met her, you could have, she was wrong about Ukraine, and you could have treated her like she was either lazy or a dummy. 
a lot of people would have been impatient with that woman and said, well, she thinks this about Ukraine. She's too stupid or lazy to talk to. But you didn't. You treated her with respect. Right, John? You know what? Because I'm becoming Russianized. I, I hate to say it, but, um, you know, they have lost that. They have lost that uh, mentality in the United States, the mentality of tolerance and understanding that different people have different opinions. Um, and so, and, and frankly speaking, I'll be absolutely honest. If I was still living in the U.S., if I never, if I never uh, would have uh, come here to Russia and spent six years here, I'd probably have that mentality still. And um, I really wanted to, instead of criticizing her, to show her the truth. Because, you know, I had the opportunity to, and I needed a translator anyways. She's a fantastic translator. I said, you know what? Why don't you, you really want to see what's happening there? Come with me. You be my translator. And uh, you give me your opinion, okay? And she was like, yeah, yeah, I I would love to. And she went with me. She argued with me all the way to the border of Donbass um, about how, like, Russia was evil, how Russia had blood on their hands and all this other stuff. She argued with me all the way until we got to Donetsk, until we started talking to people. And her tune started changing immediately. Yeah. Now, now, I, I, I'm sure you wouldn't use the phrase, but I think Carmine's been Russianized because that sounds like an approach, Carmine, you'd appreciate, right? Not treating someone like they're stupid, but respectful. And because she wasn't hostile either, because she wasn't yelling at you or whatever, it became a lot easier. Well, I John. tried. What, I what try. I wouldn't consider myself. I try very hard to treat people that way. I wouldn't consider myself Russia-ized. I, I think we still have, and I still have that. I grew up during the Cold War. I was raised during the Cold War. So we still have that thing about Russia. You know what I'm saying? Rocky, Rocky Four, And I don't hate Russia at all. Um, but I think, I don't think it's, I, I hope it's not just Russia-ized. Where you can treat people like people and try to communicate with them and try to change their minds if you think you're right, or at least have an open dialogue and communication. But I say also, and this is one reason I like Putin. This is a guy who's our president called him a killer, and he acted with restraint. Do you see that, John, that Putin consistently, given a choice, goes the route of restraint? That's what I perceive. Feel free to criticize him, but what do you see, John? Nah, you're 100 percent right. Um, you know, one thing, one thing that I don't care who you are. One thing that you have to respect about Putin, whether you love or hate his policies, he never resorts to petty attacks. He never resorts to personal attacks. He is an utmost professional. I've never seen him making a personal attack. On anybody, I mean, you know, maybe he makes a dig at them if uh, if they're not seeing the picture clearly, but it's never it's never a malicious, 
personal attack. He just doesn't resort to that. And, um, you know, our politicians here, they are, they are such hypocritical warmongers. And the, as we're seeing in Martha's Vineyard with the legal aliens that Ron DeSantis sent there, they're also consistently hypocritical. Absolutely. It's hilarious. I'm glad even overseas you're following that. They, they, love some, they, they, they love illegal immigrants unless they're in their backyard. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was rolling um, when, when I saw that. And then the very next day, uh, they were all deported. Even though, did you see one guy was, they were deporting him and he was saying, I don't want to leave. I like Martha's Vineyard. Did you see that, Carmine? Yeah. Oh. And they basically tough, right? Yeah. I so, did. I did not see. It. Did they deport them out of the country already? No. no but out out of Martha's Vineyard. Oh, okay. No, of course not. Of course not. Their country like Martha's Vineyard. People are like it was cruel. I'm like, how's it cruel? Martha's Vineyard's beautiful. I know, right? But John Mark Dugan, I know you got to go. It, and uh, we really appreciate talking to you. I would recommend people go and watch all your videos on your YouTube channel. But that one with the translator was also very good. And this newest one on the indoctrination of children is a must watch. John Mark Dugan, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Take care. And now let's take a short break on the backstory. Back in the backstory, I'm Lee Stranahan, and we're joined by Carmine Sabia on Carmine Monday. Hey, Carmine, did you enjoy that interview with John Mark Dugan? I did, I did. I have to ask you a question, Doc. You know, I'm Go a patriotic on. American, right? Love my, love my country. I've always wanted to ask you something. When we start the show, you always call it the empire of lies. Why do you do that? Well, that's a phrase Putin used to describe America, and I thought it was catchy. Does that make sense? Now, is that is that is that empire lies America or empire lies America under Joe Biden? Because the the, the 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 latter I can I can agree with. Well, I'd say it applies to a lot of the reason Trump was elected. I think because a lot of people were aware of it. But look at our media. No, how there's, there's you, truth. There's a lot of truth to that, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and how could you describe the media uh, except the empire of lies? A, a lie machine. Right. Indeed. And uh, a lot of lies relate to issues of empire. But I would also submit to you that almost every country is an empire of lies. I, I would disagree. I, I would say that's letting the U.S. off do the you, hook. Do you think Vladimir Putin doesn't lie? Name a lie by him. I'm just asking you a question. I asked you a question. I said, do you think he lies? What I'm saying is, you'd have to name one. In the run-up to the 
the special military operation. It was deceptive in a way that you are in war. Does that make sense? You don't tell yes. the enemy we're going to go in over here on Thursday. Of so, course, of course. Aside from those military lies, I think he is the most honest, forthright world leader on the world stage. And I can't offhand think of anything that he's been, I would say, lying about. Do you think he didn't poison Navalny? No, no way. No way. In fact, that story is absurd on the face of it. He has Why? a radioactive isotope in his underwear. Well, I mean, how did it happen then? I don't know that it did happen. Do you think Putin had anybody killed? No. You don't think Putin had anybody killed? No. I think almost every world... On the face of it, I just think almost every world leader has had somebody killed. So so no one... I I know the people who, for instance, Lidvinenko case, that was one that said this guy Lidvinenko, who's a, a spy, a double agent, Russian, and they he defected the British. Do you know who said that Putin killed Litvinenko years before 2016? Do you know who said that? I do not. Christopher Steele. Well, Christopher Steele is not really, right. not really a great and source of information. This is years but, before 2016. So, but, okay. when you find out that every story about Putin is lies and comes from someone with an agenda, often a financial one. That's the thing about the U.S. What the U.S. does is they consistently, and even Trump did this, remember why saying why we're staying in Syria? Uh, no. To take their oil. Uh, oh, yeah. Right? So I appreciate Trump that he's more honest, but that's effed up. Syria's oil is not our oil, right? And so where I consistently see America, they have an empire. It's a different kind. And I would say we explicitly were anti-imperialist. We were a colony. Our country was a colony. And we broke free from Great Britain. But the British pulled us back in. In the 19th century. But then let's and, take, oh, oh, so you go by that David Icke theory. Which one? That we're still part of Great Britain. I think it's pretty obvious. And there's an explicit goal of uh, the, a lot of people, the elites in Great Britain could see that the British Empire was dying. In modern times, we're replacing monarchy with people voting. And they wanted to figure out a way to, to keep, and people like uh, W.T. Stead, the journalist, and people like Cecil Rhodes, founder of uh, South Africa and Rhodesia, and enshrined at Oxford, Cecil Rhodes was explicitly trying to bring the U.S. back to the British side. Do you know much about that history, Carmine? I do not. I do not. So I, know, I know a lot about it. And it's stunning because it's so clear. The British said, we need to rehook up with America. And it was soon after, by the way, the U.S. had opened up the West. 
And we had found gold out west. And suddenly British, which had basically given up in the U.S. Do you, do you know who built, built the Confederate Navy? I do not. The British. The Confederate Navy to destroy the U.S. of A. I mean, I'm not they surprised. Built, right. So the, when they couldn't beat us in the Civil War, the British were going to get off the coast of New York and bomb New York. Okay? And when they couldn't do that, they kind of said, well, we need to rehook up with them. So then the British started to bring us back into the fold. There's no theory. It's, it's, it's all very explicit. Makes sense? And so you think us watching the royal funeral this weekend and all that, you think that's part of it? Yes. Because I, I love a good conspiracy theory, but I would say the whole world was watching that funeral, don't you think? No, I think it's a little different. Fox is being almost a BBC. They're so, uh, they're showing fealty towards the royals. And, and given well, am I alone on this here? Am I alone on this here on the backstory that I, I I actually like the royal family? You're alone on a show. I don't I don't hate them adamantly, but I don't like them. I don't like royalty, and I I agree with our founding fathers. Do you also like royalty? John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. They really didn't like royalty, and if the founding fathers were alive today. They would watch us sucking up to the royals and go, what happened to the country? And that's a question I, I, that many Americans find themselves asking. So go ahead. I, I, I agree. There's part of me that agrees with that, but I do like this royal family. I did watch it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, as much as one could enjoy a funeral. Uh, I, I liked this queen very much, and I, I, I like this particular royal family, and I think they're pretty cool. Um, I'm not a hater. I'm not a Prince hater. Andrew, uh, Prince Andrew wouldn't be in the pretty cool category. Agreed? No, Prince, I, Prince Andrew would not be in the pretty cool category. That is correct. And he would Prince be in Trump's the toucher category. May have been responsible for his ex-wife's death. A, a lot of people believe. In, in fact... Well, my mom believed like, it. Princess Diana predicted her own death and her manner of death. And that's 100%. But so, you know who David Icke believes, right? No. Okay, so David Icke, uh, who I know was on this show and who I would love to talk to someday, but David believes that uh, they're aliens, that they're human-alien hybrids. Well, we had a discussion. Yeah, we talked about that in the interview. And my theory is, look, it's it's like the same thing we're discussing. If someone asks you, do you believe in evil? And Satan, you'd say yes, right, Carmine? In the existence of him, yes. Now, but if someone said, show me a picture, Carmine, of a guy with, aside from a guy who got piercings, of a, a red guy with a horn and a tail, right? You couldn't do it. But, And I, I put the Ike thing on the level of that. That doesn't change your opinion, because that's not what you're saying, really. Is it Carmine? Hey, listen, anything's possible, man. David Ike, if you actually listen to the whole theory, I mean, he had me questioning for a long time. He's David Ike is a smart man. 
Yeah, undoubtedly. Um, so, but I personally, when I look at this royal family, I know he loathes them. A lot of people hate the idea of royalty. I personally like them. And I know that makes me very weird as a conservative American. People are like, oh, but I, I. Well, Carmine, we're at the top of the hour, so we got to go. When we come back, more on Trump and Hannity and John Saul here on Factual. Back on the backstory and joined by Carmine Savia on Carmine Monday. This is the backstory. And so, Carmine, we had John Mark Dugan in the first hour, a great appearance. And be sure to check out that and his YouTube videos. His YouTube videos are great. And coming up this hour, we're joined by Daniel Lazar talking foreign policy. We got lots to talk about. And Carmine, what's the name of the show? This is Backstory. You know, and Carmine, let me just say one thing. We're disagreeing a little before the, but let me point out that Carmine, I think you know this. A, two things are true. A, I like you. And B, B, we don't agree on everything. And that Correct. is exactly why I like having you on the show, because I don't, I don't need you to agree with me on everything. And in fact, I think you make me and the show smarter with your disagreement. So does that Thank make sense, Carmine? Thank you very much. I don't necessarily disagree on everything either. I just, hmm. right. I just yes. think there's a lot of corruption and a lot of, I think every government in the entire world has issues. No, and that's a very reasonable position to take. And I'm saying this is why I wasn't asking the question defensively. Let me explain that. I've looked into it, Carmine. I can't find an example of a lie. And I've looked for them. And every story I've looked at, at first, I was like most people. I accepted a lot of stories. I sort of accepted, well, Putin probably did kill that guy. Then I looked into the stories, and every one of them fell apart, right? So you can imagine, imagine a person who'd been overseas for 10 years, and they came to the country, they came back to America, and they like, well, I've heard Trump is all these things, A, B, C, D. And then sure. you, said, you said to him, hang on, that's all not true. That sounds fantastical. It sounds like it can't be true that you're saying every everything I say about him virtually, he's not a racist. He's he's not an anti-immigrant guy who's just anti-immigrant because he's racist. He's not a white supremacist. All of this is a lie. And you'd go, yes, it is. Does that make sense? Analogy? Because people love to complete, uh, conflate illegal immigration with legal immigration. Oh, they love to do that. That's one of their favorite right. pastimes. And and I know, and I know you. If if you found if Trump was revealing a hot mic, revealing saying 
those stupid beaners, we should kick them out, let's say. I don't think you'd defend Trump on that for one we, second, Carmine. We would have, right? Yeah, if you heard if you heard him on tape. Yeah, I'd be furious. Right? I'd be furious. Yeah. Right. And so you're not laying off the hook because when you listen to what he says, he's not a racist at all. In fact, I think he goes too much the other way. Does that make sense? There's truth to it. He says they're not sending us their best. Well, look at what Venezuela is doing right now. They're emptying their prisons and sending them here. Yeah. So. And I'm felons. So the unique freedom that I have because I have this for a job is no one is going to fire me because I'm too pro-Putin. Does that make sense? No one's going to come to me and say, but by the way, I think I would hear from management if I defended him on something that he was clearly wrong on. But at at Breitbart, they would have gone, you sound too pro-Putin. And I would have said, well, I looked into it. And they would have said, tough. You can't sound too pro-Putin. So the thing I have here is the freedom to be pro or anti-Putin. I have the complete freedom to think well, what yeah, I I've, want to I, think. I know from experience, I've criticized Vladimir Putin on this show. And nobody's yes. ever said word one. And we didn't, we didn't talk to you off the air or anything and nope. say, hey, Carmine. They'll bring back you back off. every week. They'll bring so, you back every Right, right. Be- because, and really, it's the same thing. And so me having a job here has enabled me to not have to feel pressured to go along with things about Putin that aren't true. So 202-521-1320, the great owl killer is once again with us. Owl killer, what's on your mind? You guys are talking about Dolph Lundgren and uh, Skeletor. I don't care what anyone says. That Master Masters of the Universe movie was phenomenal. When I was a kid growing up, I loved it. And, I, you know, I, I think it's one of those cult classics that will never get us just due. Shame on you. Shame on you. First of all, I'm collecting the Masters of the Universe, the whole uh, origin set. I don't know if you've heard of the origin set. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I have the whole collection. And I just ordered the one that has the Dolph Lundgren He-Man in it. So, I mean, I, I have to get it. But that movie was atrocious. I'm still now, with both you. Of you. Let me say one thing before you respond, Al Keller. Go ahead. I saw Star Wars eight times in the summer it came out. And you two have outnerded me. Both of you debating this Skeletor movie wins for the most nerdiest thing on the show in a long time. Congratulations. Al Killer, rebut, defend your beloved Skeletor. I still, I'm still waiting for the sequel. I remember when uh, Skeletor pops up at the end in the Red River, and he's like, I'll be back. I mean, I, I was waiting for that, at, you know, at, as a kid for, I'm still waiting for it. You know, they were, t- they were talking to reboot it. Carmine, did you ever hear about the uh, canceled sequel? By the I way, Cyborg? I, let me just, Carmine, let me say one thing. Obviously, they brought him back in a speech in front of a red wall. Well, yes. Yes. That, that was Skeletor returning. Yeah, for, for sure. Hey, of course, I would submit to you. I would submit to you that Nancy Pelosi resembles Mumra. I think you're going too hard on Mumra right there, huh? With, 
what I wanted to, to uh, touch on a couple of things, right? So, yes, Carmine, we were remarried to the British Empire. Um, you can read Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley, and or you can look into Cecil Rhodes and you know Rhodesia and Cecil Rhodes and a Roundtable Group. How at the end of uh, World War One, they saw that the British Empire was collapsing, and they need, basically we became the muscle for them. But uh, you know, you talk about the the whole. Uh, Rocky Rambo thing and how we were taught. I mean, still to this day, when I think of Russia, I think of red and snow and freezing cold. But yes, you start when you read somebody. You know, you think of Darth Vader. That that's what you think of is uh, when you think of either the Nazi Germany, which rightfully so. But when you, still to this day, you have that image in your head of like a Darth Vader and it's freezing cold, and you know it's just a hard, harsh country where nobody nobody can do anything. You know, there's no food. But when I when I read uh, Gulag Archipelago, um, and you with Alexander Solzhenitsyn, um, then you see that Putin met with him several times before he dies, and dedicates a statue to him. And I'm still anti-communist, but who are the people that are the traditionalists and you know you know preach Christian values? We have been separate. If Russia and us ever united. It, it's literally to the stars. We're being separated from Christian brothers over there by people. You know, you guys were talking about uh, God in the beginning. What, can, what more can, can it be any more obvious that this is, this is clearly the agenda, whether it's Satan himself, it's in the images. It's, it's a satanic movement. The wokeism, you know, the anti-God, the uh, anti-family, the abortion, the, transgenderism. Oh, God, yes. Being abnormal is being forced upon us, and you're being told to, you know, I, I heard evil described as when you when to make your mouth say something that your eyes, your brain, and your heart know are not true. What what can be more evil than what, what is being promoted here? We'll get no argument from me, sir. Hey, I really, I'll, kill a, I'll kill a great call, but I, I gotta move on, because I got a few clips. And some stuff I want to be in. By the way, one personal note. You mentioned snow and freezing. I've been talking about moving out of South Dakota and moving back to D.C. I've talked about that. But it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to because of some divorce-related stuff. So, But I am moving to downtown Sioux Falls, which has much better Internet. So I'm going to be rebuilding my studio downtown with better internet and uh so that's most people it won't affect much but i was walking around downtown and the other thing that was good for me carmine was walking around downtown i'm about three blocks from a, a bar and pizza place that i really like not for pizza i don't forgive me for the pizza not for the drinks because i don't drink anymore but uh Walking from the apartment building is a strenuous walk. It's not, it's, and, and I feel it's important for my health to get more walking like that in. Does that make sense, Carmine? It does. It does. Were you walking in Memphis? No, because I'm alive. You tell about it. Oh. And Memphis is very dangerous, although not the most dangerous city. Do you know what is the most dangerous city now? Um, the murder capital in, of the U.S. Any place in New Jersey? No, New Orleans. 
Has you wow. heard that? New Orleans is I, the murder capital of the U.S. Oh, you know, reach for the stars. And we'll hopefully have Elva Gillery on to talk about that soon. But 202-521-1320. Jonathan. Okay, Jonathan's not there anymore. Let's give the first clip. I'm going to play a clip. And this is why I don't like Hannity and Solomon. They're liars. They're fooling people on Russiagate. And they're fooling people, including Trump. And so clip one is the stimulus. It's the lying segment from Hannity. So let's hit, hit it. Play that clip. With John Durham, we were just talking about with John Solomon revealed that yes, your FBI in fact did pay for Russian disinformation, and they paid the number one subsource of that dirty Russian dossier that Hillary Clinton paid for, disseminated to a compliant media to smear Donald Trump before the election, and then was used to spy on him as a candidate and as a president. They knew directly from that source that the dossier was completely false, bar talk, never meant to be taken seriously, people like Jim Comey continue to sign off using that dossier to get FISA warrants anyway. And this is now without question the biggest abuse of power corruption scandal in American history that the media will ignore. And while the Biden DOJ continues to target Donald Trump and his allies, the FBI is being exposed, sadly, as weaponizing disinformation to illegally spy on Donald Trump. Where's Merrick Garland here? Where's the raids of these people's homes? Here with reactionist Trump attorney Alina Haba, along with Fox News legal analyst Greg Janet, Jarrett. Uh, Greg, we'll get to you in a minute. You were dead on accurate. I just quoted you. Alina, let me get to you and get your reaction as being part of President Trump's legal team. Outrage. I'm complete outrage. Not surprised, but outrage. This is now the third person that we found out has been indicted and was on the payroll of the FBI. That is, you know, it's unbelievable. I'm the domestic terrorist because I'm a MAGA Republican, but the FBI can pay informants that we now know were serving disinformation to the Clinton campaign and to serve the DNC and all of them. But were the domestic terrorists? Explain that to me. Plus, one thing we didn't mention: October 2020 was when Mr. Danchenko got fired. Do you know when that was, Sean? I, I know you do. But for I your do. people watching, let's just be clear: October 2020 was when Durham was appointed special counsel. That's when the FBI said, "Oh, you know, we better get you off payroll now because this might not look so good that we've been paying you for three years and you're a paid informant." Now, let me point out, the, the phrase to listen for there, Carmine, is Russian disinfo. Russian disinfo, when you hear that phrase, who is the disinfo coming from in that phrase? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess Russia. Okay, but what is Russia? So, for instance, if we were talking about the government of Italy supplying disinformation, okay, and you talked about that over and over again, and you said the Italian government is applying Russian disinfo. And then you found out, let's say you had lied about something, and they called that Italian disinfo. Do you see the difference between Russian referring to the government and Russian referring to one person who happens to be ethnically Russian? Correct. You see Which what they, 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 and they will. They will conflate that. And they're doing in this case, 
The Democrats did it over and over. But Hannity's been up there and saying, this guy, Darshenko, was Russian. Therefore, they call it Russian disinfo. But Darshenko is a known quantity. Do you think Darshenko is pro or anti-Putin? Uh, probably anti. Okay. We know for a fact he's anti I know he's anti. I know he's anti. Right. And the reason, the way you can prove it is he worked for Brookings Institution and Strobe Talbot, Bill Clinton's college roommate at Oxford. Strobe Talbot employed Darshenko, and Darshenko wrote stuff against Putin on the Brookings site. If you enter his name on the Brookings site, you can find it. So what Hannity's doing is equating one guy, an anti-Putin guy. They, he, Sean never tells you that. Sean never tells you he worked for a guy who was Bill Clinton's college roommate. He never mentions that. Instead, he says, see, it's Russian disinfo. Now, you see see, so, see what my objection is there, Carmen? Which, of course, is technically correct. Well, it's a fallacy of equivocation. Because most people, when they say Russian disinfo, they don't mean disinfo by a guy who's Russian. They, in fact, right. also use, like, Putin as, as and that's, that's more analogous, because they mean Russian government, right? Correct. Well, that's so, the implication. Yes. Now, now I, I would submit to you that this stuff affects Donald Trump. And as proof of that, I'm going to play a clip from one of his recent rallies and listen to the dumb stuff he says, anti-Russian, and it's, it's blatant. So hit it. The, the Trump clip. We'll also have to move quickly to fix the rot at our federal law enforcement and intelligence agencies. Just this week, it was revealed that Igor Denchenko, I think that sounds like a slightly Russian name, the foreign national who fabricated some of the most ridiculous smears and lies in the phony Steele dossier. It was all phony. How would you like to be me and go home and explain that one to my wife? wasn't true. I swear it wasn't. Remember that one with the hookers from Russia? Darling, I'd like to explain this to you. It was all phony. It was all a phony, made-up, corrupt thing by the Democrats working with a paid informant of the FBI. Remember, we were supposed to be working with Russia. It was the FBI and the Democrats that were working with Russia, and now it's all coming out. And I hope they make a big deal out of this, not sweep it under the carpet, because I think it's one of the biggest stories in 50 years. If that were a Republican instead of a Democrat, it'd be the biggest story. It would never end. In other words, the FBI was paying a Russian who made false smears to try and take down the president of the United States. This was while I was president. It was also recently revealed that the FBI went to Facebook in the weeks just before the 2020 election and told them that the Hunter Biden laptop was all Russian disinformation. Don't use it. And the pollster said that if that word had gotten out, it would have made a 17 point difference. But we won the election by a lot anyway. It was too bad. To root out this appalling corruption, we need to pass historic reforms to tell the deep state you're fired. 
And Trump doesn't hear the contradiction there because on the Biden laptop, they use Russian disinformation, that story. And they know if they say, see, here's, here's what I see, Carmine. If people say something's Russian disinfo, they never have to prove it. Have you noticed that? If you accuse oh, yeah, something no, of being never have, never have to prove it. And you see, what was that thing at the beginning? Yanchenko, that's sure sounds Russian to me. What is that nonsense, Carmine? Well, I can't speak for the president, but I, I'm going to go with what uh, he's. I'm going to go with telling you that he's obviously being told what he's being told. Yes, and the point is because Hannity and Solomon never bring up that Darchenko worked for Strobe Talbot, Bill Clinton's college roommate, and one of Bill Clinton's oldest and closest friends which he is, and the brother-in-law of the person who wrote the first dossier. Let me say that again. Strobe Talbot's brother-in-law is Cody Shearer, who wrote the first dossier that eventually Steele submitted to the government. And Strobe Talbot was walking around passing out the dossier. You see? And just saying, like, well, he sounds Russian. That was not Russian disinfo. Does that make sense? It do. And do you, do you see why I'm so bothered by it? Because it, 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 it's giving a false narrative to Trump that's leading him away from the truth. What say you, Carmine? <laughs> I mean, I'm not well versed on it enough to know where the disinformation came from, but obviously, Dushenko's not working with Putin. So, you know. I think again, he's he's doing the same thing, conflating a Russian guy with Russian disinformation. Because the implication when you say Russian disinformation is immediately, it's the government of Russia. I mean, if I said American disinformation, you wouldn't think it was me. Or and just some I understand that this guy was born in America too, so it's not even that he was raised in Russia all his life, but. Uh, that's not 100% confirmed for me. But it bothers me when people make the president dumber. And you and I saw this during the election. Trump continues to say stuff that he shouldn't. I don't like Mike Lindell, the pill, my pillow guy, being stopped by the FBI at the drive through and surrounded. But Mike Lindell has said a number of things that I don't agree with. What say you, Carmine? Same thing. I think Mike Lindell, and I love Mike Lindell. I think he's a great guy. I think he's an American patriot. I think he's off his rocker. Right. Or he's being misled, less stray by some people. And uh, so that's my little rant on that. It really bugs me. Uh, you can tell that. Let me ask you a question. I think Trump would be a lot closer to the base on issues if he liked Tucker more than like Hannity. Do you agree? I do agree. I do agree. Again, he, wouldn't have not, backed, he wouldn't have backed yeah, Dr. Oz. Right. So let's take a short break, Dan. Let's take a short break, and we'll be joined by Daniel Czar after the break. We're with the Carmine Sabia on a Carmine Monday, and this is the backstory.
we're back on the back story and on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. And joined now by the great writer, Daniel Czar. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? I'm just fine. How are you? I'm good. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, but please don't be insulted. It's based on the premise that you can't know everything, Daniel. But you... you I don't. I, no, I know no, nothing. You know a lot. You know a lot. So if you say that you know about this, I wouldn't be surprised. But you're only human. A smart human, but only human. Have you been following the situation in Azerbaijan and uh, uh, Uzbekistan? Well, Azerbaijan and Ar- Armenia, you mean? Or uh, or Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan? I mean, for- forgive me. Forgive me. No, 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 no. I, I misspoke. Yes, I have. Been. Armenia and uh, Azerbaijan. Okay, of course you have, Daniel, because you're a damn smart guy. But I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have held against you if you didn't know anything about that. Last week, we had the great reporter Neboja Malish on the show to explain it to us. But now I think people who hadn't been paying much attention, and, and Carmine Sabi is with us today. And Carmine, you're also a smart guy. But I'll bet you've not been following the situation with Armenia, right? Right. But now you kind of have to, because Nancy Pelosi is going over there. So how frightened should we be that Nancy Pelosi's on the case, Daniel? Well, I mean, uh, well, first of all, uh, I mean, Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan was a really a stupid move, but... Uh, from the point from the point of view of the U.S. strategic interests, um, uh, her trip to uh, to Armenia is kind of a triumph. Um, uh, Armenia is part of the um, of the post Soviet security agreement that was hammered out in the early nineties, kind of a, a post Soviet NATO, um, and. Uh, and when uh, Armenia was attacked by Azerbaijan, Armenia appealed to Russia for help under the terms of the uh, security pact. And Russia said no, because its hands are full, obviously, in, uh, in the Ukraine. So, uh, so that left um, Armenia in a pickle. It's lost about 135 uh, people to the um, Azerbaijan onslaught. And so when uh, Nancy Pelosi arrived in Yerevan, the uh, capital city, she was met by cheering crowds who tore down posters of uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, chanted her name, and at least one guy was, uh, was uh, carrying a sign saying uh, OSTC, that's the uh, OSCO, that's the uh, security organization, go to hell. So... Um, so uh, it's a triumph for 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 U.S. Uh, interests in what had formerly been Russia's backyard, but now that Russia is weakening uh, due to the uh, Ukrainian uh, uh, offensive in, in, uh, in Kherson, uh, suddenly this whole region is opening up. Now, do you believe that pro Nancy Pelosi protests was organic, or do you think someone put him up to that? I think, from what I can tell, it's, a, it's, a, it's far away, but it looks organic. So, I mean, you know, but and by the way, I mean, there are a lot of uh, Armenians in California, and Adam Schiff has been pounding the uh, the drums over the war. Um, 
So, uh, so I think there's there's a good deal of pro-American sentiment and a good deal of dismay uh, about Russia's non-response. So, um, so yeah, I think it was quite sincere. And and by the way, Lee, there's a second war breaking out uh, between Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, a few hundred miles away. So they so all of Central Asia is now kind of erupting, and. Uh, and Nancy Pelosi may be the genius, I said very ironically, who is essentially inserting U.S. power into what is now a, a highly volatile part of the world. So, as you mentioned, Adam Schiff represents Glendale, and Glendale is a huge Armenian population, because I used to live there and in Burbank, right next door. So you're right about that. And uh, That's where Kim... Uh, Kim Kardashian is from, right? Yes, and a lot of people with a lot with the whose name ends with Ian, I A N. Right, that's a very popular last name. And uh, Adam Schiff does have a very active. And what the Armenians have been upset about for decades, of course, is the Armenian what they call the Armenian genocide, and that's kept them. Very politically active. Does that make sense, Daniel? Yeah, yeah. But the funny thing about Schiff, I mean, I mean, Schiff is a is a monster. I just, you know, I just get the willies whenever I see his face. But uh, but uh, his two loyalties are to Armenia and Israel. Unfortunately, Israel is backing Azerbaijan in this war. While guess who is backing Armenia? The answer is Iran. So Adam Schiff finds himself in very strange company. Now, the general question I have, though, and I'm generally not not confused by this, but I don't think Nancy Pelosi is at all an appropriate person to be doing foreign policy because the House doesn't really have much to do. That's not the purpose of the House under our system. So do you see... In in times past, they may have sent someone else in Nancy Pelosi's position, but I see her being used for foreign policy trips, and it's a little weird to me. Does that make any sense, Daniel? Well, it's weird. I you know, and I assume she's just a, she's just the beneficiary of of really good luck. But you know, but the fact is, the U.S. is inserting itself in this region, this very volatile and very important region. Uh, and she's at the spearhead. I mean, her trip is a triumph for uh, for the Biden, Biden uh, administration. There's no doubt about it. So, and so say what you will. I mean, I, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I put Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff in the same boat and sink it, you know, somewhere, somewhere off, you know, Catalina Island. But, um, but in fact, uh, this this trip is it's really something. Now, Daniel. What do you think is going to happen, though? You know, there was just fighting and deaths on both sides between Armenia and Azerbaijan, and that's when Nancy came in. How do you think this is going to play out in a week or two weeks? <laughs> you know, those are those are so uh, so, such a hard question. I I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, the uh, it's possible that there will be a ceasefire. There is a ceasefire now, and it seems to be. To be holding, but uh, it's pretty clear what Azerbaijan wants, and that is it wants to uh, 
I mean, essentially, Armenia has a corridor linking it with uh, with with Iran and separating two Azer- Azerbaijan territories, one to the east of the uh, uh, to the west of the corridor and the main part of the country to the east. And what um, what Azerbaijan clearly wants to do is 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 drive through that corridor, uh, take it over, break Armenia's links with Iran. Uh, and essentially, you know, sort of like unify the country into one solid whole. And it has the backing of uh, of Erdogan of Turkey, uh, who is anxious to extend Turkic influence, you know, into Central Asia. And Azerbaijan is a Turkic-speaking country. So, uh, so um, that seems to be what the what the uh, Azerbaijan goal goal is, and that sooner or later it'll act on it. Now, it seems to me that. Putin is somewhat restricted, in fact, by agreements to those countries. What do you think Putin should be doing? What do you think is a good option that he actually has? Well, he has no good options unless he can somehow turn the tide in the Ukraine. I mean, that's his. I mean, he's. Uh, that's his big problem. Uh, I mean, this this Kyrgyzstan offensive. Or Hairston, as you pronounce it, uh, is a is a huge blow. It's a huge military blow and political blow. Well, actually, uh, and and Putin let me, had let me been, just stop you one yeah. second to correct you. The Kherson offensive was a complete disaster for Ukraine. It was the other one, uh, Kharkiv. I, I always pronounce the name wrong. That was the success for them. But the Kherson offensive was a complete disaster. In every way for Ukraine. So go ahead. Uh, well, why? Why do you? Why do you say that? Because they didn't achieve any. Everyone knows there were two offensives. Everyone agrees. Kherson was a huge disaster because uh, they were talking about it for months, and then when Kherson, the offensive came, they gained no territory and huge losses. That was the one that was bad for them. But the other one was Kharkiv, and that was one where there was some success and a lot of people. So just correcting at one point, Daniel. Uh, well, it's, uh, uh, that was, um, yeah, but my impression is that the, well, I mean, maybe, uh, actually, maybe it sort of caught me short because as much as you think I know, I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure that what I'm saying or what you're saying is correct. No, um, no, and, and but, obviously uh, I'm open to being wrong. So on that, but I, having uh, covered this on a show for a while, I think you'll find that Kherson was the offensive that did not work well for Ukraine. And I admit it, a lot of the town names over there it makes it very hard. You're, you're hearing names that kind of sound similar, and that I didn't know how much do you know okay. about Ukrainian geography before. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Right. It is actually okay. You're you're abs- you're absolutely correct, like, and 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 you just and you just reminded your listeners of how little I know because you're absolutely correct. It's the Kharkiv uh, offensive that has been highly effective that has thrown Russia for a loop. It's the Kherson offensive which is bogged down. And which has sort of gotten Ukraine no uh, nowhere. You're you're absolutely correct. So therefore, yeah. my ignorance is on display. You're correct, but nonetheless, nonetheless, 
I mean, the the uh, the the Kharkiv offensive has thrown Putin for a loop. It has damaged him militarily and politically, uh, both at home and abroad, and especially in the near abroad of the North Caucasus and the uh, and Central Asia. And therefore, his clout is diminishing. So, uh, so that's what that's what I think that I think is the big story with regard to both uh, uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan. And this other really important conflict in, in Kyrgyz, between Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. I mean, once upon a time, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Putin merely had to, you know, had to clap his hands and everybody would sit down, as, as they were told. But that seems to be fading. And suddenly this region is now, is now uh, in play. And strangely enough, Nancy Pelosi, whom, uh, whom I love to make fun of, and loved to disparage suddenly finds herself in the uh, in the catbird seat, where she is suddenly you know you know marches into Yerevan, gets a hero's welcome, and uh, and suddenly it seems that sentiment in uh, in Armenia is shifting dramatically from Russia to the U.S. No, and and Daniel, we were talking to Carmen before our guest host today, and I was saying that I like Carmine because. I don't agree with him on everything. And so, Daniel, you're someone who I really consider a brilliant person and who I've learned personally a lot from over the many months you've been on the show. So I'm going to push back a little. But first, Carmine Sabia, do you have any questions for Daniel Lazar? I do not. Um, I'm just listening. I, uh, I have a quip, but I'll save that for later. <laughs> you know, no, go for it. Well, every time I hear you say Azerbaijan, I want to go do 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 Azerbaijan do 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 do. It, it that in itself is a is a weird name, but uh, Daniel, <laughs> here's where my pushback will be. I don't think this has been as bad for Putin as the Western media likes to make out, and I will point to the recent economic conference that brought leaders of India, China. Russia, and a couple other countries together. Were you following that at all, Daniel? Of course. And the, uh, it was the, uh, the Shanghai Cooperation or, uh, Organization, and the, uh, the summit was in uh, Samarkand. Uh, but that's where, that's where Xi Jinping, you know, uh, said he had certain concerns about the war, which is kind of a, uh, kind of a, a striking statement on his, on, on his part. And also where Narendra Modi of, uh, of India lectured uh, Putin, uh, you know, that this is not the time for war. And, and Putin's response was, was strikingly humble. I mean, he said, I'm, I'm aware of your concerns. I'll endeavor to meet them. But, you know, but the, uh, you know, the, but the situation is going on. So, sure. so I think that that conference as well reflected a, reflected a diminished Russia. So I think the world... The Western media misquoted. It was a case of telling half-truths, because Modi also said the bond between Russia and India is inseparable, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yes, the, the, Russia enjoys a great deal of, a great deal of sympathy uh, throughout the world, but, but military, a, a military reverse is a, reversal is a military reversal. Uh, and um, and until you can somehow turn the tide, you're stuck. 
Well, I think uh, they've already turned you know, the tide. I would argue that has no strategic significance whatsoever, and that Russia was withdrawing from that area already before the attack, which is why they chose to attack in that area. But I, it has no strategic significance at all. And Russia is still winning. That hasn't changed a bit. And I think... I, I, I think... Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right, Lee. But I, I, I still would not, would not dismiss the, the these these events. But we'll, but we'll see what happens in the, in the coming weeks. I mean, Russia's got to do something. We'll see what it does, and then we'll take it from there. And I'm admittedly more dismissive of that than even most guests I have on the show. But let me say, I think part of this is, and tell me if you disagree with this is Russia does not spend a lot of time spinning things. They don't come out and try to do a PR operation and try to spin stuff. They just remain silent about it. That seems to be the way Russia handles a lot of issues, whereas the U.S. would be spinning it nine ways to Sunday, and Biden would say one thing and then another in five minutes. Yeah, 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 that's true. I mean, the U.S. has this as this propaganda machine that it, that it can't stop using. Yes, and and that's another reason I call it the empire of lies, and Putin does, I think. And Russia generally does not seem to care. Putin, too, does not seem to care about trying to spin the way Pelosi or Schiff think or whatever. They're okay with them hating him. They care more about results. And that seems to be something... Russian. Does that make sense, Daniel? Well, I don't know if it's Russian or not, but it certainly seems to be Putin style. And Putin is, you know, as is, is terse uh, and concise as opposed to the Americans, you know, who were who were endlessly voluble. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I think that, that 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 is his style. But as I said, you know, it all all boils down to military substance. Uh, and if you're if you're losing, you're losing. And uh, and Putin knows he's got to turn this around, and that if he doesn't, uh, he'll be in in serious trouble. Yeah. So what what Peter Lavelle, the host of Crosstalk on RT, told me once is he said we were talking privately, and he said, "Look, ideology has not worked out well for Russia, so people tend to be less ideological and more practical." And that explanation that Peter gave me. Explain a lot to me. Does that make any sense, Daniel? Well, yeah. I, I mean, yes. I mean, yes. I mean, I mean, Russia was once the center, uh, once the world ideological center of uh, of communism, and uh, and a post-communist uh, Russia tends to be much more pragmatic, uh, much less ideological. Uh, yeah, but um, but um, but also, you know, but, but there's also reality out there. So. So style, you know, there's style and substance. So I agree that that Putin is a pragmatic guy. Uh, I think that he has played a very good game over the years, no doubt about it. In, in many ways, he's made the U.S. he's he's drawn the U.S. up short. Uh, but um, but we'll see what's the see what the next few weeks uh, hold. No. Uh, and um, he's got to turn things around. Carmine, did you see anything about the? SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization meeting. 
No, not anywhere. No. Okay, so let me, let me talk about that and see what you think. And Daniel, correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but SESCO, I think the most significant thing is it seemed to me like China, India, and Russia are ready to be in not just a different trading arrangement, but a unique new financial system for that part of the world. The entire that includes credit cards, banking, and everything else. It seems to me that they're detaching themselves from the Western, the U.S., and European banking system. Daniel, do I have that right? Yeah, I, I think there are definite moves in that area. You know, but it's like you know, it's like like everybody's sinking beneath the waves these days. I mean, I mean, Russia. I mean, Russia is being hard hit by the fact that oil prices have dropped by a third over the last uh, last few months. Uh, the Chinese economy is in deep trouble. The this real estate crisis is big news, really big stuff. Uh, and the U.S. economy is in big trouble. I mean, we're heading into a hell of a recession. I think we're facing, you know, uh, intense uh, financial, uh, you know, instability along 2008 lines. Um, I don't see any way out of it. Uh, so everybody's in trouble. And so, yeah, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the uh, Russia, China, and India are completely appalled by the way the U.S. is behaving and are looking to one another to, uh, for support. But whether they can achieve it is another question. Now, I say the one advantage I see at the SCO is because they have China and India. India has had a lot to do with software in this country, too. A lot of programmers are Indian. And the hardware has been manufactured for modern computers and devices like phones and tablets in China. So the, with those two countries, China and India, they have the future in hardware and software. And Carmine, what do you think about that? Do you see that there could be a, a financial world separate from the U.S. and the West? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest national security concerns. Yes, stated, but they don't seem to do anything about it because, in a sense, they can't. Working. Daniel, what say you? I mean, like, you know, I, I, I think what you're saying is correct. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, India and China are ancient civilizations. They've got huge, you know, intellectual and technological reserves. I mean, no doubt about it. They are a powerhouse. They they will play a greater and greater role in the, in the coming decades. They, you know, it's very possible they, the center of the gravity of the world center of gravity is shifting, you know, back to where it was, you know, around 1000 AD. When, uh, when India and China both eclipsed, you know, were, 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 were the centers of world, of, of global wealth, and Europe was, you know, was an impoverished outpost, you know, uh, ruled by Vikings. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's very possible that, that things are going, that, that, that the, the, the coming decades may look more like the, 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 the previous millennium, the, the, the first millennium at, at, by its very end. Um, but you know, by the same token, you know the the U.S. has got great reserves of power as well. 
I mean, the, the U.S. has held its own in high tech. It owns the Internet. I mean, it, uh, you know, it, it's still, you know, it, it's still what it's still it's U.S. corporations are still like, you know, two thirds the world's uh, top 500 corporations. Uh, you know, so the, so the U.S. for all its problems uh, and all its breakdowns still is a hugely powerful force. Uh, so I would not dismiss it I'd, by any means. I would just, you know, I would not write it off. Uh, and I think, you know, it's got huge staying power. And I say this as a as a as as a deep critic of 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 the United States and where it's going and what it's doing. But there's you can't underestimate this country. Now, Daniel, are you familiar with the H one B visa program in immigration? A little bit, a okay. little bit. I would, I would say that I agree with you completely. The U.S. has proven, particularly in tech, and California especially, brilliant software. That's what they've and design. But because of the H-1B visa program, which most H-1B visa recipients are from India, I would argue that a lot of Indians have been coming over here and learning from California corporations how to run a software, a workflow, and also a design workflow, and how to be creative in a way that they brought in the Indian workers, and a lot of them have gone back to India. So if we're only yeah. if we're only a hardware advantage, I think you can beat superior hardware with superior software and good hardware. But it's tough to beat great software and great hardware. And I think that because of the, the alliance between India and China, so many Indians have learned, and Steve Bannon has pointed this out before, he's pointed out that the guys who were programmers a decade ago, Indians who were programmers, are now the heads of companies. Does, it, does that make sense, Daniel? Yeah, yeah, I would. It does make sense. I mean, it, 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 but but I'd also bear in mind that all those visa holders who go back who go back to to uh, to India do not turn their back on the U.S. To the contrary, they want to keep on doing business with the U.S. They they want to they want to make the use make maximum use of all their American friends and contacts in order to uh, to build a business relationship. So. So one could argue that the uh, that the the visa program the H was the H one B one visa program uh, actually winds up extending American power, um, and that uh, that the American high tech culture you know you know ha has spread to India and to China as well, and and that may actually be a long term U S advantage. No, and that's why uh, because the think... U S is still the center of the culture. That's why I wish the U.S. would stop treating companies like economic adversaries. China and India, I agree. And in my dreams, I would like to see the U.S. treat other countries like other countries who want trade and do business with us, because I think that is what they are. And it's okay to, you know, to say, well, we should manufacture more of our own chips. We should be self-reliant. I think that's true, but I think the U.S. needs to stop its foreign policy, which is based on sanctioning other countries. 
Now, do you think there's something about the nature of the, the kind of empire the U.S. has that has to, it can't treat other countries like equals. It can't treat them like trading partners, but need, needs to treat them like trading servants. Daniel? But yeah, yeah. Well, that's what that's what an empire means. I mean, I mean, I mean, Britain did not treat India as an equal in the 19th century, by no means. Um, I mean, but the U.S. empire is first of all, it's, it's really high, highly leveraged, right? I mean, it's like it's like a it's like a uh, it's like an LBO on Wall Street. I mean, the U.S. has got 700 military bases around the world, but those bases will have only a few hundred or a few thousand soldiers each. Yet somehow, I think it figured. I think it's the something like thirty-five thousand U.S. soldiers around the world essentially allow the U.S. to dominate the world militarily. So it's so the U.S. forces are really spread thin. But what the U.S. is doing is that it can't be confrontational in the way it has been. I mean, it it just can't. You know, it can't push countries like like Russia and China to war. Because eventually, eventually, it'll, you know, it'll, uh, it'll go too far. And Carmine, do you agree with that? I do. And I, I, I am scared that we're, we are pushing it too far, to be honest with you. Yeah. No, I, I, so let's leave on a happy note, just agreement. Great job, <laughs> Daniel Czar. Always a pleasure to talk to you and a pleasure to even argue with you. A little bit because you're a very smart guy and a great guest and thanks for appearing thanks to john mark dugan for appearing early in the show and thanks to carmine for once again doing an exceptional job representing all of italy you don't, <laughs> thank you, you brother you don't represent all of italy do you no i do represent all of new jersey okay so we will be back tomorrow and this is the best radio show in the world because we give you a variety of views in one place and fun disagreement and also jokes about it. I'm just saying this is the backstory.